starting from Eve makes this is not going to work. Can't start there. It's way, 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 way too late in the game because time is uh, the point of contention twixt those who say they know one thing and those who say they know another. Time is often that upon which they cannot agree. So before I began to tell my story and as the people are gathering around the digital fire where I'm going to stand and pass on what I've learned from my own elders and a set of mimes and memes and muses that enter on cue as the story is being told. This is October something, 4th or 5th. 2018. We live in a world that is past Y2K. We have uh, we've seen so many manipulations of the money supply digitally in the past 20 years that we are jaded to the threat of an AI doing a monstrously worse job than is being done now by the banks and insurance companies who loan money to the war machine. You know, if it weren't for people making money on war, there wouldn't be any war anymore. There's just no reason for it anymore. There never was a reason for war. War is an unreasonable thing. And, you know, I'll argue about that when I have somebody to argue with. For now, got to bring up the idea that the smartest guys I've been able to find in the realm of physics and that the guys that do the presentations on the Royal Institute YouTubes. They seem to agree that the best definition of time is what clocks do. Time is what clocks do. So, most of the story that I have to tell is a timeless story. When I brought up in an earlier episode about the the never-ending story concept, that was because several years ago I was writing a story that I became so deeply involved in that it felt like I wasn't ever coming out of that story. And the uh, story of my life and uh, it's in the book of life. And once you discover that that is the story that you are writing, the hero myth that you are 
unfolding as a journey before you, that, that's you. You do that stuff. You may be mistaken in some of your assumptions about what the experts profess to know. And the way I have peeled back several layers of this in the past 50, 55 years, very slowly, very, very slowly, I got unstupid over the years. But I was afraid to say that I was unstupid because I didn't have the credentials. So I went to school and got a bachelor's degree, and lo and behold, the first job I got after I had that bachelor's degree paid me maybe double what I had ever earned before in my life. So there was a little brief spurt from like 1995 to 2002, where I was involved in entrepreneurial capitalism and couldn't think about anything else. And once, while I was on a contract with Justin's Learning Corporation, that's the way you say you weren't a temp worker, you were under contract for Justin's Learning Corporation, which coincidentally, when I was uh, in college getting a bachelor's in business management, <clears throat> one of the case studies that we went through was for Justin's Learning Corporation, which had been a spinoff from the Justin's class ring and yearbook business, which was just, you know, a phenomenal moneymaker for those guys. You know, it was absolute tradition. It was almost religion that you have a class ring from your high school. Like those were going to be the memorable years of your lives. Those were going to be the best years of your lives. But they weren't, you know. And we grew up and we grew past that. We got to this place where we are now where we've got cell phones and we've got the internet and we've got this insane world of uh, constant entertainment and updates on anything that we are willing to pay attention to. We can be updated constantly on any subject, anything we want. If we wanted to be gung-ho Buddhists and there was a certain group in Tibet that were putting out a new mantra to 
meditate upon every hour of the day, every hour of the year, every hour of the eon, and they were just going to go on and on and on with a never-ending song for peace. And they were just peaced out. They were just blissfully living their lives with really no concern or care for what was on the news because they don't watch the news, you know. They don't have any clocks, you know, in a perfect world. In this world, they've all got cell phones. The ones I met smoked cools. But wandering around and finding oneself in a world where it's possible for a 70-year-old man with credentials no more powerful than mine to have his own podcast that can reach an audience of millions by the grace of God and, you know, viral propagation. But to not go insane in your old age because... You want so much to talk out what you have learned so that you can filter the lies from the truths. War stories work that way in many people's lives. I know old men who uh, believe their own war stories. And the sad part about the fact that they believe their own war stories is that when they die, their children believe those war stories. So, from that point of view, just because I said that Jesus is going to uh, come up in this story and that I believe Mito Mom and Eve are one and the same Homo sapiens sapiens individual. Yeah, I don't think there was any further evolving from Eve. I think at Eve we were us, and we have her mitochondrial DNA empowering every cell in our body. So, the story I'm going to tell is the story of the hope that was stuck to the lid of Pandora's box and that was given to Eve in the garden when God told her that her seed would trample the beguiler's head. And we're going to start at that point in time next time. The real story starts up with Nimrod, the Akkadians, the Sumerians, the Ur of the Chaldees and all that. You know, a few thousand years or eons or, you know, no clocks, right? So the time factor here is not an issue. What's at issue is that the first of our kind, the first thinking thing that was knowing it was thinking 
and was at least able to imagine conversations with an immaterial being outside themselves. Like they could hear instructions from angels, for instance. So I'm going to go with the, uh, with the Bible and start in the beginning, God. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, Jordan Peterson could probably talk four hours about it. I'm going to skip all that and get down to the place where it's God has made Adam. Adam is a critter who can walk and talk with God. And Adam and God have some time together. Creator and creation. Father and son. And they are moving about throughout the living world. And God's pointing things out too. Adam, atom in Greek, man, so the, the ish, the name we call this, this first creature, this ancestor of ours, the first of our male sapiens, sapiens ancestors, or maybe he's the first of our male sapiens ancestors. Maybe the sapiens part comes, you know, what, what's coming. Everything that uh, Adam calls something, that's the name of it. That's what it's called, everything. And a couple of sentences that takes in the Bible. But what if it was this situation where There was an intelligence that became self-aware. It knew nothing but had access to all the knowledge that has ever been accumulated by mankind up to, you know, the moment in time that this intelligence manifests. But there had never been any mankind. There hadn't been anything for this manifestation to learn from. There was no experience. There was no time. There was no intention. There was only this really cool idea, life. Life, wouldn't that be cool? What if, and you know, here we are. A bubble is a better explanation for the beginning of everything and the expansion of everything. 
that we are witnessing. The fluctuation, the flexibility of bubbles fits the reality of the universe much better than shrapnel of any size. So realization is a word that is essentially idle in the mouths of most people who use it. And it began to be redeemed when the word monetize entered the vernacular. People were talking about how they could monetize a game or monetize an app or monetize a rap. <laughs> Very few people, I think, talked about monetizing poetry. Nevertheless, we know that I can lose track of what I was saying and pause. Realization, I suppose, is what I was talking about. To make a thing real, you got to be able to at least imagine nothing somehow becoming something. If you never have thought about that in your whole entire life, if you have never realized anything at all, never made something real by your own intention to take an unreal, even non-existent idea, perhaps. Ideas might be something else. But this little quanta of time, perhaps, between ticks on the clocks, this place where a story can stand once upon a time, and you realize that situation, and you are, you are there. I once practiced doing this using dragonfly eyes, and then I had a <laughs> revelation, you might say. Benjamin Franklin I consider a friend, and he spoke once of finding a, what he thought was a drowned fly in his glass of sweet Madeira wine from a little island off the coast of Portugal. And he just set the fly on the table. He didn't smash it or crush it or anything. And after a while, the fly dried out from the wine and you know, shook itself off and flew away. And Franklin commented that it would be wonderful to someday, when he died, be packed into a cask of Madeira wine and then be opened 200 years hence, he said, 200 years in the future. 
and see what has become of this experiment of ours. And I presented that in my younger days as him speaking of the experiment of the United States of America as it was imagined by me in 1995 when I was the local representative for an aborted satellite link up from Newt Gingrich in that college in Georgia that you know, somehow press went bad on him for what he was going to do, but he was basically going to teach an American history course from a capitalist's point of view. And, uh, you know, the guy that was the, the first drug czar under Reagan, he, he wrote a, a massive, big American history that, uh, The only difference between his and, say, one that H.G. Wells or somebody wrote is that his perspective, where he's looking at the history from, changes what he saw relative to what the other people saw. And that goes for where you stood in the social hierarchy as well. Both Newt Gingrich and that character whose name I can't remember, and most of the books that we were ever taught, uh, Theodore White, wasn't that one of the guys? These were the elites of society, the elites of academia, at least. You know, some of them may have not been uh, royalty, except through their rise in the ranks of academia, they became advisors to royalty. You know, guys like uh, Henry Kissinger, perhaps. Turing to, to a sad, tragic, lesser degree. The experiment Franklin was talking about See, I've gone a little deeper into history since 1995. But I was already there in 1995. I already knew this about Franklin, and I was already being steered in this direction. My loaf had already been leavened, so to speak, and there was life forming in me, 1995. And I read that part, I included the story of the fly and, and Benjamin Franklin to lead to his hope of a certain great experiment that he was involved in, what it would be like 200 years from now. He had been a partaker in some sort of a plan that he expected would fructify in 200 years. So, that fly that flew away, I imagined that 
instead of using the dragonfly's eyes, which had the extra complication of the double set of wings that I just couldn't really ever figure out how they worked. And, you know, a regular old housefly that I have imagined being since I was a child. So, with the eyes of a housefly, we go back to that situation we were talking about where the first thinking, naming creature is walking or hanging out with, communicating in some form or another with his creator. And we're the fly that's seeing this whole thing come down. And we are noticing that there is a relationship between <laughs> this creator and his son, his child. That's exactly what it is. It's, hey, let's do this. Let's make another one. Let's make another one. Let's make one that can do everything we can do. Let's, well, yeah, time, time. Uh, we can do that. We can do that with like the sun and the moon and stars and stuff. Yeah. So somewhere in that range, God was thinking, you know, way before Adam or anything. He was just thinking, you know, no such thing as time. God had to imagine time so he could get the ball rolling so there could be a step one and a step two and a step three and a step four and a step, you know, at, at, at here where we are right now, the number of steps that it has taken the universe to get from the very idea of light, for instance, to here, um, that's not unbelievable. It's not unimaginable. I mean, that's what people imagine. They just Imagine it was an explosion of all the knowing how to do this act of materializing anything from nothing. You know, a lot of thought went into that. So... I'm trying to put that much thought into this podcast, and I do meander because meandering is the way that flows flow. We'll talk about rivers sometime in the future. But while we're waiting for everyone to gather around the fireplace or the campfire or whatever the, the uh, scene is that we are setting up here in our mental space we share... <clears throat> I'm going to tell the story using my Kindle augmentation so that I can have the King James Version of the Bible that's the version I'm most familiar with and Strong's Concordance both at my fingertips. And I'm just going to start from just before in the beginning and then 
go through the Bible because that's what I was intending to do and afraid to do. But since I don't have anybody to talk to but you, that's what I'm going to do. Next time. Adios. One more section that's got to precede Genesis 1.1. The Bible in a lot of people's minds that I've met over the last 50 years plays the same archetypical role that um, a book of magic plays in the Marvel or DC universes that we see on television. The uh, the Pokemon world that children see where there's, you know, a class of wizards somewhere and these wizards have books and in those books is all the arcane knowledge, all the occult knowledge, all the knowledge that's behind the veil clouded so that it can't be known by everybody. The secret stuff. The wise people know the secret stuff. And the Bible was treated that way basically until the 1500s or so, you know, after printing became commercially viable and printing the Bible became a for a while, it was a capital crime under some conditions. But people thought of it as one of those magic books that you could open it to anywhere and plop your finger down upon it. And the scripture that you read under your finger would be a word to you from God. You know, not unlike the way the I Ching is used in China, you know, or the casting of runes would be anywhere where there's a book that's going to tell you what the runes mean once the runes are cast, or uh, some initiation that some priest has gone through that has taught him how to read the entrails of any given animal doing augury and foretelling the future. Well, the Bible is thought of as a magic book by people who don't know the story. And those people who don't know the story think that people who do know the story are thinking of the Bible as a magic book, that it was poured forth from the mouth of God, kind of like an ISIS concept of the Quran. But, you know, there's plenty of evidence to show that the Quran is the, pro the product of somebody knowing how to do something based on the way that the Roman Catholic Church got their thing going, you know, and, and basically dominated all the people who believe that this book is like a magic book, that even if you didn't speak the language that it was written in, you could trust the guy who was telling you uh, abracadabra, body and blood. 
This is the body of Christ. Peace be unto you and also with you and the whole thing. I've gone to some Catholic funerals and even one Catholic wedding. The ideas that are represented so often are only rituals, superstitions. The, the idea of the ritual is if you dance this dance, the blessing of dancing that dance will come upon you. And the people who don't know the story that I'm going to tell believe that the Bible is a kind of book that tells people to do those kinds of rituals and to submit to those kinds of authorities, those sacrificial priestly hierarchies. And they contend that Jesus was that sort of a sacrifice. And there's a chapter in the Bible that I doubt that we will get that far for quite a while. It's chapter 6 of Hebrews. And my desire has always been to go to a church. No, it hasn't always been, but for the past couple of years, my desire has been to fellowship with persons who understand that you don't get past Hebrews 6 without some help that would have to be classified supernatural in the common vernacular. So, I just didn't want to be classed in that group of people who are... uh, said to believe that every word in the King James Version of the Bible is God uttered through men filled with his spirit and that uh, there's no lies in it, no stories that are just stories, but there are stories that are just stories, and they play a role in the way that human beings went from that point in time where none of them spoke the same language, and they were all scattered about, and they told stories. Well, eventually, those stories on the Hebrew side of things got collected all the ones that they could find while they were in captivity in Babylon, you know, circa 300 B.C., uh, a little while before Alexander the Great. And uh, the time of the Hebrew administrators or Hebrew bureaucrats under uh, Cyrus and Darius under the Babylonians for a while, and then the Medes and the Persians. That period of time is when the Bible was gathered up, and it was gathered up from all the stories that they had available to them at the time. But these were really smart guys, and they were really deep, deep believers in the story that I'm telling 
And they put together a book that was discoverable. And that's what we are going to do. We're not going to proselytize nor evangelize. I'm not going to let an atheist live in my podcast. That's kind of like suffer not a witch to live. You know, once you really get to know a witch, all that's really necessary is her to be born again, and she turns into one of the most delightful people you could ever imagine. You know, Glenda, Witch of the West, right? All right, I'm going to do more, but not now. This is the end of this whole episode, three parts.